We've got to get real. We've got to talk about something more important, and that's beer. And I want to know if you guys have seen Brewy. It's a fully automated brewing machine with a compact design that runs Linux. And yes, this was one of my runs Linux, but I got to talk to you. I got to share it with you guys. Look at this. It's on Indiegogo. $109,000 raised already of a goal of $100,000 with 46 days left. So they're already at 109% with 46 days left. And I want to play this for you because this is the most magical machine ever invented by mankind. And I'm really excited. Until now. That's why we created Brewy, the first fully automated home brewery. Just place the ingredients into the machine, scan the RFID card that comes with the ingredients, and that's it. Brewy takes care of the rest, exactly like a master brewer would do. Brewy is perfect for beginners and experts alike. Experiment, modify recipes, or create new ones. Set the temperature for mashing and loitering. Choose your own ingredients, set different times for adding hops, or choose one of the 23 other parameters for your brew. With Brewy, you can literally brew any kind of beer. Our system notifies you once your beer is ready, and you can drink it. On the, right on the phone. It's always online. You can control and monitor your brew by a phone, PC, or tablet. So you have time for other important things besides beer. Brewery also has an online recipe database where you can browse recipes. Are you and seeing this? An own. online recipe database. Favorite recipe and re- reproduce it anytime. In some places, it is hard to connect with other brewers. That's why we've created a platform where you can share your experiences, exchange. All right, so uh, Blaster, what do you think? Do you want to go have these on this with me? Because this is the most amazing invention of our lifetime, and I feel like we need to take advantage of this, and we could easily make it a show segment. Yes, let's All right. do this. Okay, we're doing it. I think this is so cool. I'm really excited about it. It's called Brewy. Now, here's the problem. This is why we got to go halfsies. Because uh, maybe we want to go thirdsies, actually. Uh, the beginner pack, 15 out of 50 claimed. Oh, Fifteen hundred dollars. Yeah, I mean, this is a real. This is a big boy rig. This is a. This is the real deal, right? I mean, you're making. You're making a lot of beer out of this thing. Okay, you're controlling it with your smartphone, and the damn thing runs on Linux. I mean, let's get real. Of course, it's fifteen hundred dollars. It should be more than that. Think about it. It runs Linux. Let me tell you about some of the specs before you get a little scared away. Uh, it's got a 4.3-inch color LCD screen on the front. It has 802.11bg and N, plus an RFID transceiver built in. It's got a USB port. This is a brewer, an automatic brewer. Okay, uh, It can hold 20 liters, 5.2 gallons for us Yanks. It takes about five to six hours to brew and then 14 days for fermentation. That's amazing. Okay? That, that's worth $1,500 right there. Uh, okay. It runs something called, and I'm not familiar with this, Pokey-based Linux. What the hell is Pokey-based Linux? I don't know, but you manage it from uh, Android, iOS, Windows Phone, mobile apps, or just a generic web interface. It has magnetic valves with brushless pumps, stainless steel containers, 20,000-hour pumps, automatic water inlet, two, 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 my friends, automatic hop inserters, okay, solid-state relay controls, I, I'm, I'm sorry. How could, how could we not back this? I almost feel like it's, it's, so, it's so damn expensive, but this is the most... We've got to get these people on the show. Rotten Corpse, you've got to make a note about this. We've got to yeah, get these people... Now. Oh, you are... <laughs> yeah, we've got to talk She's to these... on it. I, maybe we can get a review unit. <laughs> this is amazing. Uh, okay. Would this beer bring back beer as tasty? We would have to. I mean, I think, uh-huh. it would, I think yeah. that would have... See, they had early... See, I wish I would have jumped on this early because they had $100,000 early bird packages. This would create a competition between the um, the brewers at Linux Fest Northwest. Yeah, yeah. Oh, here's yeah, the, totally. here's what we'd want too. 
The unique skin package includes all the items of the professional package. Ooh, a professional package, huh? That sounds like us, too. We're professionals, right? Uh, but you get to add your own logo to it. Come on, let's do this. We can put the Jupiter Broadcasting logo on there. But the professional package, check this out, it includes a beginner package. Ooh, oh, hello. Uh, these accessories include a pH meter. Jeez, amazing. One measuring cylinder, one water quality testing instrument, and one ball and hydro- hydrometer. I don't think I'm saying that right. Uh, this is really exciting. When beer and Linux come together, magic happens. So, uh, anyways, it's Brewy, hey, and it's on Indiegogo. Those guys at Linux Fest proved that. Yeah, it's still got 46 days left, too. So, if you want to fund that S, there is a link in the show notes. Gosh, that's cool. I really, really want one. Man. I smell a revival of a podcast. You know, if if uh, I tell you what, guys, uh, the, the the truth of the matter is, and, and you know, I it's not I'm not I'm not bitter, but if I had uh, Leo Laporte money, it's for people who like to mess with computers. I would be just buying all kinds of crap. I would just be buying crap like that all the time. He does, yeah. <laughs> well, it looks it looks like they're based in Hungary, so um, regionally they're closer to Popey and I. So I think you should have it sent to the UK and save on <laughs> the uh, shipping expenses. All right, all right, okay. okay. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's filled with the holiday GNU spirit. Well, and a little bit of Santa's rum. My name is Chris. And my name is Matt. Hey there, Matt. So uh, we got so much going on in today's episode. It's it's a little ridiculous. So uh, I'm really excited. Coming up earlier on in the show, we're going to talk with uh, Anabody from the Zenotic Project about something really cool coming up in my favorite open source game. But there's also some other news in gaming that we're going to get to for the holidays because there's probably going to be a big sale coming up. But later on in the show, Dustin Kirkland from Canonical comes back with some additional comments about Ubuntu Snappy potentially being the future of the Ubuntu project. So I'll ask him about that, and we'll get his insights on that. Plus, what the heck is Juju, and how does it fit into the whole Ubuntu core thing? He'll answer that, and what all the different packages are. And then later on in the show, it's our community review of Fedora 21. We're going to get everybody's opinion on how it's been since they've installed it. I'll give you some additional thoughts that I've had trying out Fedora 21. So it's a really, really big show. And on top of that, we got a whole bunch of feedback, Matt. It's a little cray, so why don't we get started? Let's clear the deck. Let's bring in the uh, awesome mumble room, Goldfish, who I believe is here for his first time even for Linux Unplugged. All of you, welcome. Time-appropriate greetings, mumble room. Hey. Hey. Hello. Hey, 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 hey. Hi. Hi. You know, hello, hello. it sounds like there's like three of you. <laughs> you guys got to get better at that. You got to really represent. Uh, all right. So uh, let's get started here. Uh, yesterday, before we go too much further here, uh, yesterday we had something kind of exciting happen. We launched, a sh- we launched on the Coda Radio Show an open source project right here on the Jupiter Broadcasting Network, GPL2. And I believe it may prove to fundamentally be the most important project for 2015. Of all open source projects, Matt. Whoa. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's called Open Your Mouth, and it's at openyourmouth.recipes. These are open source GPL2 licensed recipes from the Jupiter Broadcasting community. This is an opportunity to go out there and meet your fellow De- Jupiter Broadcasting developer, learn a little GitHub and Markdown in the process, and commit your recipes to one central place. Open your mouth. It's We've set it up. Openyourmouth.recipes.com. It's open source recipes from the Jupiter Broadcasting community. 
And it's actually, you know, I it, it's kind of amazing. It's taking off in a big way. We've got breakfast, desserts, pizzas, sandwiches, sauces, different types of these things. Matt, this That's is already crazy. a huge hit. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. So uh, go to openyourmouth.recipes. And, uh, Open your mouth. Dot recipes. Okay. And uh, Rikai has been in there. He's been engaging with the community, and uh, I like. They're right now. They're working on a pretty killer barbecue pizza, and they've merged in some of the changes. Everything's written down in Markdown, so if you just want to go look at the recipe, you can read them. And uh, this is just a. F- Here's what we were thinking. Like uh, we talk, uh, we talk a lot about open source code and and community and all of that. But I realized there are. Hundreds of developers that listen to these shows that are not talking to each other, that run into jams, you know, they, they get into a spot where they're stuck and they need a resource. They're not communicating, even though they're all listening to the same content. Wouldn't it be cool if we could create a fun sort of no pressure way for people to connect, maybe even for folks that are not familiar with GitHub, maybe folks that want to learn Markdown or just connect with a community that's pretty cool, and, and, but not have to know code. And that's what we've done here. It's it's so it's like it's it's tongue in cheek, but it's also a serious attempt to give people a way to connect. Also, we're encouraging people to hang out in our uh, Jupiter Dev chat room. We have a we have a dedicated uh, JB Dev chat room on uh, Geek Shed. In fact, if you want to know more about any of this, we've got a whole bunch of projects going on for the community to work on right now. If you're interested in developing code for the Jupiter Broadcasting Network, go to jbdev.community. Blaster set that up for us jbdev.community and it'll give you a link of resources all of them right there like different different account information the uh, IRC info well hello there hello there and uh, and that's a great place to start also uh, Jupiter Dev on the IRC is another place to start and it's it's really kind of fun to see people work on this we're, we're gonna we're, we're launching a lot of projects in 2015 and so we're trying to get people engaged and that's kind of just a fun way to start and it turns out some pretty good recipes. Like we started it That's yesterday, awesome. and now there's like more than a dozen. I think it's I think it's actually a lot more than that. Uh, it's I like cool. how bacon's at the top. Well, oh, bacon, Matt. Yeah. Yes. yes. Let's not kid ourselves. And Angela and I want to submit <laughs> some of our own recipes from the Fisher nice. family. Uh, and and then before we get into our feedback, which I got a great one. Like I'm really glad. So this is the last Linux unplugged before Christmas. Uh, next week we will have a new episode, but it is a best of episode. However, at, right now. Linux Unplugged has the least submissions for best ofs. And I know we've had some great moments. We've had some great arguments. We've had some great interviews. We had some, we, we've had like, you know, there's some stuff we've, we've already got on the list. Like when Wimpy released the, the Ubuntu Mate 14.04 live on the show, I mean, how do you top that? Like that's already on our list. But we still need your help. At the top of the show notes, your best of submissions. Linux Unplugged, for some reason, has the least amount of submissions right now. Now, come on. We all love the Unplugged show, right? So hook us up. With your submissions, go over there. You, you'll find a link at the top of the show notes if you go look at episode 71 of Linux Unplugged. We just need the episode title, a link to the episode, the time code, and what it was. And then Rikai, this, 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 see, the thing is, what we're trying to do here is we're trying to give everybody time off. But the problem is, is if we don't get these submissions in, uh, I, I'm afraid Rikai might uh, start pulling the hair out of his beard. And he has a beautiful beard. And I do not want to see that happen, right? I mean, could you imagine, Matt, if he starts tearing at that, that, that? Oh, my goodness. Right? That thing's a masterpiece. And I, I picture him chasing us around the studio with, right. like, beard particles in right. hand, just screaming. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. When you have a content catalog as deep as ours and as many, as, you know, and, and the shows that are as long as they are, it's, it is the most, just, just assembling a best of, just all of the formatting that goes into that is an incredible task. But 
He really could use your help. And we have links at the top of the show notes. You you literally have like just a few hours. So if you're listening to this show now, please go do it because uh, it takes days and days and days and days of work just for one single episode. And uh, he's working on them already. He's already started. All right. Let's get into our first bit of feedback. Uh, KZ650, a frequent chatter, emails into the show about IP Fire. And this was an email I was really glad to get in towards the end of 2014 because earlier in the year, I had decided Chris is going to replace the firewalls both at JBHQ, which is where the operations happen, and JB1 Studios, which is where the production happens. At both ends, I wanted to replace the firewalls. My leading candidate for replacing those firewalls was PFSense, but the thing is PFSense runs on FreeBSD, and I didn't really want to deploy FreeBSD when I do this other show called the Linux Action Show. just didn't feel right. So I was looking around for suggestions on what I could use instead, and I still haven't really come to a conclusion. A kernel Linux thinks I should use these Microtik routers that look pretty compelling. And he's, he's even so far, he's so far into it, he's even sent me two of them now to make sure I deploy them. <laughs> uh, and then on the other end, I've looked at a few other distributions to see if something met my needs. And I wasn't really happy with any of them until KZ650 sent emails in about IP Fire. He says, Chris and Matt, You've mentioned in the past about the epicness of PFSense. You talk about it all the time on TechSnap even. But you've never mentioned AP Fire. After using several firewall distros, I landed on IP Fire, and it's awesome. It's a very good project, and it deserves a spotlight. So I went and checked it out, Matt. And it totally, well, it basically kind of looks like PFSense. You download the ISO, and it is a dedicated firewall distribution, and you can get a nice GUI on top of that to manage your firewall rules. It looks really nice. Uh, so, uh, you know, I'm going to take a look at IP Fire. Uh, right now I'm leaning towards the um, the Microtech routers or, or whatever they're called. Colonel X, do you have any thoughts on this? Are you listening? No. I, uh, we know he's got thoughts on it. I'm sure he does. <laughs> I, yeah. I do have thoughts. My, here's the thing. For me, and I've done a lot of soul searching over the past couple of years, and yeah. I think what I've come down yeah. to is it, it comes down to this. My first priority is that something runs on Linux, whether or not it's open source, whether or not it's... I don't mind paying for something like Steam is a perfect example. I'll pay for it and it's not open source, but it runs perfectly on Linux. So that's my like that's my bare line. And then after that, if it's open source, even better. And after that, if it's true free software foundation specialty stuff, that's even like double, better. double yeah. better. Yeah, right. But with the Microtech, it, it meets that very bottom line. Everything works perfectly in Linux, which I can't say is the same for Cisco. And I can do all the stuff that I could do on the Microtechs that I used to be able to do on Cisco, except it all works on Linux. Oh, and by the way, it's like a tenth of the price. Yeah, all right. I mean, I, and I like their size too. So it's something I'm going to figure out soon. I got to get this solved. I got to get this problem worked out. I've got a mess right now where my home network and the studio network are using the same IP address space. So it screws the hell out of my devices when I move between them. I cannot manage them remotely when I'm at one location or the other. I feel like I'm in the 1990s where TCP IP <laughs> is this new thing that's really neat that I'm trying out, but I still prefer IPX. So I'm – yeah, this is a problem I've got to solve seriously in early January or else I think my blood pressure will suffer. Um, all right. I'll tell you what doesn't make my blood pressure suffer. I'll tell you what makes me feel a little bit better, and that's personal accomplishments. Seriously. And that's why Linux Academy is a great sponsor for Linux Unplugged. I can go there. I can challenge myself. I can see what interests me. And I know that Linux Academy is built by people who truly understand and know Linux. They are Linux users themselves. They're not generic educators. They don't have everything from fixing the sink to setting up an Apache server. They're people that genuinely love and use Linux themselves. Educators, Linux users, system administrators, developers that came together. And they created something they're passionate about. 
and that's Linux Academy. And if you go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged, you'll get a 33% discount. And that's for, this, that's for the lifetime right there. Boom. Actually, I think it's for the quarter. Go to over there and check it out. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Try them out for a little while and see what the discount is. It's 33% off. That's, if you think about it, sort of an amazing discount. They have everything you'd want to learn, seriously. Everything from doing your own backups to manage your own Linux servers. You can choose from 7-plus Linux distributions. They'll automatically adjust the course. If you're in DevOps, if you're learning about OpenStack, if you're learning about Docker, they've got courses on that. They're always adding new content constantly. In fact, they just wrapped up the Puppet Professional courses from beginner to puppet professional to be certified ready at linux academy vagrant they've got courses on that docker courses on that they're on top of all of this stuff because they're linux enthusiasts themselves so they are following the technology trends they're following the open source developments they're watching all of this and then they're curating the courseware based on that nobody else can offer that linuxacademy.com slash unplugged go there check it out Sign up. I've been using them now for months. It's seriously one of the best online learning tools I've ever seen in many years. And I go back to years when it required some clunky ActiveX installer. Like it was the worst of the worst. And it was like, here, Chris, we have bought you this as part of your educational package for working here. And this is the course you can take. And it was the worst. Linux Academy is nothing like that. They have learning plans where you can go in and tell them how much time you have available. They'll automatically create courseware based on that time availability with reminders and quizzes and self-checks. And they also have a community that's available to you. And I think one of the best things about Linux Academy is the way that they automatically spin up virtual machines on demand that match the courseware. They give you remote access to them. You log in over SSH. You actually work with the technology you're learning about. You can download the comprehensive study guides, bring them with you on the phone, treat them as podcasts, be like Skooky Sprite, listen to them in the shower. This is a really great opportunity, linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. They also have added a lot of DevOps content in the past few months because that's an area that's really growing and they've really, de- they've really doubled down on it. linuxacademy.com slash unplugged and a huge thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Linux Unplugged program. You guys, like... Almost every week, you guys have something new for me to talk about, and that is truly a treat, and it is really neat, and it's it's really awesome to watch them work. But I, I feel a bit of a kinship with them. I feel like if Jupiter Broadcasting were to start today, maybe I might go this direction. And they are truly advocating and spreading the use of Linux by making it accessible to learn to everybody, from an experts to beginners. I think they're one of the best sponsors we've ever had. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Go check them out. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Linux Unplugged program. All right. So I wanted to uh, start with some, uh, let's start with a bang, literally. Uh, Why don't we talk with Antibody? Antibody is joining us in the mumble room. We have an open mumble room, and you're welcome to join us. We just do a mic check. He's joining us from the Xenotic Project, my favorite first-person shooter. It's open source. We often talk about Steam games. And I'm delighted when we get a chance to talk about a genuine open source game. So, Antibody, welcome to Linux Unplugged. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great, Chris. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, uh, you know me. Uh, we've we've had a we've had a Xenotic server for quite a while. I've been a I've been a player of Xenotic for quite a bit. But a little birdie told me there's uh, something new in the works coming up in the near future. Yes, indeed. That little birdie is correct. And uh, thanks thanks for running a, a server, by the way. I didn't get the chance to check your server ID to, to sport you some nice stats. But oh. but yeah, yeah. the, the little birdie says that there's going to be a release 
quote-unquote soon. Very so, soon. Like, maybe even before the new year? Like, maybe. You know, this is an open-source project, and we have, like, a gazillion developers from around the world. So we got to herd the cats. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what kind of things, and when this new release does land, what kind of things are we looking forward to? Okay, so, so drumroll, please. <laughs> Wait for it. Wait for it. Okay, no. So, so Zenog is getting a new weapon. Actually, the the long awaited arc is is going to be arriving. Uh, well, actually, has arrived in Master if you're running Git. Um, but so the arc, if you are from the Quake slash uh, genre of shooters, arc is like the lightning gun, right? So it yes. fires oh out. Oh my gosh, an I awesome love that gun. Yes, <laughs> we're working on some really really cool uh, audio effects at the moment. Get it to echo and sound like really powerful, really meaty. You know? Yeah. Um. In other news, so we've got three new official maps. We're focusing on the the capture the flag game mode. Uh, oh. So we have three official new maps for that. Um, we have a very active developer in Mario who's who's developed this really neat little uh, system he, that he calls buffs. And so it's not like your little strength or uh, shield type power ups. It's they're more wacky. So you get a, a this so called buff. It's like a hovering little coin thing, right? And then suddenly you can fly, or suddenly you can move really oh, fast. Oh, really? So we've got a bunch of little variety, little potpourri, if you will, into the game. So tell me, uh, like, uh, so give me a little background for folks that are not familiar. Zonotic is a is a first person shooter. Uh, you can set up your own server. Am I correct when I say it's based on the? Is it based on the Quake Three engine, or is that wrong? It is actually based on Quake One, but okay. it's like wow, uber, really? uber modified. It does. Yeah. I mean, I would say. I, I mean, I, I. It looks amazing for that. Yeah, I mean, we've. It's basically like taking the core engine uh, out of a game and stripping it all the way down, building it back up with some kind of more realistic expectations. We're not going to pretend that we're like a state of the art engine, but it's it's pretty darn spiffy. Yeah, well, and it seems like it. I would say here's how I would rate the graphics: like it's still rewarding on a higher NVIDIA class card, but it's still playable on say like the Iris graphics, which is a pretty great range, and it also means it's pretty playable on a lot of the open source drivers, right? Absolutely, it's playable on your open source drivers, and you know more than just playable; it's really configurable. So. We have people running it off of, like, I personally have an Acer Revo that runs Zenotic just fine off of a little teeny Atom processor. Very cool. Well, uh, so uh, we should be checking out uh, Zonotic.org, X-O-N-O-T-I-C.org, maybe around the New Year's time frame, around in that area? Yeah, in that general vicinity, yeah. And, you know, look look for the new maps, look for the new weapon. You know, we got a nice tiered server browser. So before we would just kind of slap you with all the servers, yeah. a ginormous list that you had to parse through. Well, and I'm uh, looking no at the more. servers. I'm looking at the most active servers, and it's very disappointing. Jupiter Broadcasting, which was once at number one, is now falling to number 25. So if you guys go out there and install Zonotic, join the Jupiter Broadcasting last Zonotic server and get that number back up there. We used to rank it. So I think we can yeah, do it Yeah, come again. on, guys. Yeah, right? Get fragging. So, everybody, you do me a solid and come back on the show when the new release comes out, and maybe we'll do a little live gameplay and the mumble room can shoot each other and all that? Absolutely. I, I would love to personally frag you, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I'll hover, you know, my my right index finger 
it's it's really itchy. All right, you know what I'm All saying? All right, it's really itchy. <laughs> Fair enough. I, <laughs> oh I you know what? I will take it. I will take it. I will. I am horrible at games. Uh, but all right, I'm I'm an old man. Uh, so uh, before we get out of the feedback segment, and uh, thanks to anybody for coming on and talking about that, uh, I wanted to uh, send out a request to the audience to get their feedback on Wallbag. W- what? Yeah, Wallbag. And maybe if anybody in the mumble room has any experience with Wallbag, I'd love to hear about this. But uh, I've recently talked about on Linux Action Show this Sunday how I use Instapaper to read long-form articles. And in in Instapaper, I have the open dyslexic font configured. Now, uh, there is an alternative to Instapaper that is open source that you could host yourself even called Wallbag. And uh, it does the same thing. You, it goes. It's, it's like an offline stash where you can read stuff later. The thing is, is I I don't know what the end reading experience is like with Wallbag, but because this is something I do a lot for our shows, when I'm in the middle of something and I see an article that's relevant to our shows, but it's going to take me more than a few minutes to read, I send it to Instapaper, and then I go offline later and I read it all. And so Wallbag would be – it's something I could put on a DigitalOcean droplet. It's something that could be under my control, and you know how I'm all for that. But I have no idea what the experience is like, and I was, I'm putting a request out there to the audience to go over to the contact form and uh, send in their feedback or in the subreddit. And I wonder if anybody in the mumble room has any experience with Wallbag. No. Negative. Negative? Okay. Yeah, that doesn't sound like it. I don't no. Yeah, I really hadn't heard a lot about it either. Um, but uh, I've I've seen it for a long time and so uh well I'll put the, I'll put my feelers out there. We'll see what happens. And maybe uh, maybe somebody out there has tried it and they can send us in their feedback. Oh Oh, you hear that? Oh. Oh. Oh, I think it's time for a little uh, a little uh, Steam update too. So speaking of before we get away from gaming completely, super quick here, uh Boiling Steam has a great post on a proper end of year of gaming on Linux. And there's been some recent releases that are really big deals for Linux. And I, we won't spend a lot of time on this. I know not all of you are big gamers. But for those of you are, that are gamers, there's some holiday sales coming up. And uh, there's some great games that have come out. A Metro 23 Redux has relaunched. And this is the rebuilt version that has a lot better textures. Linux Gamecast just did a review on that if you want to check that out. For you football fans, Football Manager 2015 is out. Uh, some games that we weren't expecting. Empire Total War. And this has gotten some serious traction in our subreddit. Geometry Wars 3 is uh, it's an Aspire port, which is Aspire has done all good work so far, and it's a great game. I had uh, uh, my friend John just was totally consumed by it. War Thunder, it's an MMO shooter, which looks really fun. And Counter-Strike Global Offensive, of course, we've given mention to. Also, expected before the end of the year, Civilization Beyond Earth. So there's a lot of really good games. Uh, Zonotic, obviously, an open-source option that's really great. And if... You are thinking about picking up some Steam games. I just want to, just a quick PSA, remind you, try to buy them under the Linux Steam client, so that way the Linux sale is counted. I'm not sure what happens if you buy it on the web, and even if you buy it on a Windows machine and then play it under Linux, at least for two weeks, that sale is going to be counted towards Windows. So uh, if you can, make these purchases as the Steam holiday sale comes up on your Linux rig as sort of a vote for supporting Linux. Just something to remind people about. Uh, as uh, we get close to the crazy-ass rape-your-wallet Steam sale that comes up where I feel like Gabe personally comes into my house, knocks everything over, breaks all my piggy banks, and takes all of my money. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a holly jolly time of year. And then yells at the top of his lung, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> you wanted this! Uh, all right, so uh, we, got a, we had uh, Dustin Kirkland come on the show, and I asked him some questions pertaining to the uh, future of the Ubuntu project. 
So uh, we're going to play that here in just a second. It's some extra stuff that didn't make it into our last review. And uh, I I don't know. I think it could make for a great desktop. I think it's a pretty compelling option. I'll I'll play his answer, and we'll talk about it. But first, I want to mention DigitalOcean. Head over to DigitalOcean.com right now, and let's give the Linux Unplugged show a great end of 2014 showing. Use the promo code Unplugged December when you actually just apply it to your account. I, it's a habit to say when you check out, but it's actually you can apply the balance to your account even after you've assi- even after you've signed up if you forgot to use it. Unplugged December will give you a ten dollar credit for DigitalOcean. Now we've talked about DigitalOcean for a long, long time, and it really is one of the one of the coolest resources and one of the coolest manifestations of different Linux technologies that has been put into a product that is also extremely awesome for Linux users to use. So what is it? If you're not familiar, DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. Now, why does that matter? Well, that matters because if it's super simple and straightforward for you to set up, not not a hobbled system, but a system that you have full access, full control over, that you can deploy applications to with one click. And if that process of setting that up just takes mere moments or can even be scripted, that fundamentally changes it. That Removing all of that friction is a huge deal. And DigitalOcean saw that. And they realized that's why the UI was super important. And then they built it on top of SSD drives way before anybody else was doing SSD. And, of course, they had to pair it with Tier 1 bandwidth. And you can get started in less than a minute. And pricing plans start only $5 a month. So if you use our promo code Unplug December with that $10 credit, you can go for two months. Here's what you're going to get for $5. 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. A terabyte. And they have data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, and London. But that interface, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's inspired. It's so simple and very intuitive. And power users can replicate that interface on a larger scale with DigitalOcean's straightforward API. And I've said that a lot. But I want to show you how that actually manifests in stuff you can use. Now, you, you could take advantage of that API. Maybe you have more skills than I have. And you would actually be able to write your own scripts or manage to snap it into your own puppet man- management infrastructure on your own. That, honestly, is just beyond my capability. But what is easily within my capability is taking advantage of all of the cool stuff that the DigitalOcean community has already created around this API for me for absolutely free. Like, it's just it's just a Benny of being a DigitalOcean customer. Like, number one, right here, Dropper Control Panel. Have you seen this? This is a management control panel for your DigitalOcean droplets for the Android device. There's even a nicer one for iOS. But, you know, I know most of you are probably Android users. No judging. That's cool. Dropper Control Panel. It lets you start them up back them up, copy them, move them around, take a snapshot, resize them, rename them from your freaking Android, right? That's using one of that's just one use of the API. Uh, here's another cool one, Lita. It's a chat room bot that allows you to manage your DigitalOcean droplet within an IRC room. Now, why would you want to use that? Psst, honey badger, I don't know. But I think that's amazing. The fact that you can do that is amazing. Here's another one. We're going to talk with Dustin very soon. Juju DigitalOcean Provider. This is a way to snap in your DigitalOcean droplets with your Juju management infrastructure. And you can start doing all of this for $5 per month. And if you're just an average user, you don't have anything super sophisticated like this that you want to do, that doesn't matter. You can still take advantage of $5 a month to build your own own cloud installation, your own BitTorrent sync server, your own GitLab instance. You can do all of this with DigitalOcean. And if you use our promo code, 
Unplug December. You'll get that $10 credit. You can try it out for two months for absolutely free. DigitalOcean.com. Go check them out. Use the promo code Unplug December when you check out. And a huge thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Linux Unplugged program. You guys are so awesome. And the community around them. And that, I didn't even get a chance to mention their tutorials that you can go right up and they'll pay you for them. It's so slick. DigitalOcean.com. Unplug December when you check out. All right, so uh, let's shift gears. Let's start. Uh, let's talk about uh, Ubuntu Snappy. So this was a topic of interest on uh, this Sunday's Linux Action Show. During the news, we brought on Dustin Kirkland from Canonical. He's the Ubuntu Cloud Product Manager and a strategist at Canonical. And uh, his new baby is Ubuntu Snappy Core. Now, just a super quick recap. Ubuntu Snappy Core is a new release from Ubuntu based uses SystemD. But what's actually more important is the base file system is tiny, the base system is, is very small, and it's read-only. When you get an update, you get a new instance of the file system, and when you reboot, you boot into that new instance. And if something doesn't work, you just choose the other one. The applications are fairly unaffected because, essentially, they're isolated, probably in containers. And then when you can do these updates to the base system... You don't really affect the application data, the version of the application, the libraries they depend on. And if the update doesn't work, well, it was a transactional update, so it's easy to roll back to the past version. So when Dustin was talking about this, I realized this would probably be a great way to have a very secure and stable rolling desktop release. So I asked him, is this the future of the Ubuntu project? Uh, potentially. Um, I don't I don't know that it'll ever... Um we certainly haven't ha- haven't indicated that it will replace uh, apps. Sure, yeah. Uh, maybe being offered on all Ubuntu platforms in addition. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think that's that's reasonable to say that okay. anywhere you're doing Ubuntu, you can do either uh, the traditional traditional Debian packaged app get update, app get upgrade, or the Snappy. Um, I, I think that's that's a reasonable uh, a, a, a reasonable goal to, to shoot for. Uh, myself, as a longtime Debian packager and, and Ubuntu developer. Um, I, there, there's there's certainly places where I I need to I need to do Debian packages, you know, yeah. for indefinitely yeah. for the foreseeable future. So I guess my uh, my last question for you, just as some some jargon, I want to help clear up for the audience. So we have uh, we have your standard Debian packages, we have Click packages, Snappy packages, and then there's also the management piece, which is called Juju. How does Juju fit in with uh, Ubuntu Snappy Core, and can it be used to, de- to manage some of the services it might be riding on top of some of those containers? Yeah, so that's, that's certainly on the, on the longer-term roadmap, um, you know, maybe a, a little bit farther out, a few months uh, to, to a year out. Um, fundamentally, Juju is, as an orchestration tool, uh, the goal of Juju is to create resources in the public cloud, private cloud, or bare metal solution of your choice, right? And Juju can create instances in Amazon, Google, Azure, uh, as well as OpenStack on and the private side of things. That instance would be like a full like web stack with database kind of ready to go, sort of like I click this and I deploy this charm and it's my whole setup, right? Yep, exactly. And and that, that one charm uh, might be a bundle of charms. It might not just be a single web app. It might be a web app that depends on a database, which has to be configured in a cluster with an HA proxy in front of it, a memcache on the side, accelerating wow. things. Wow. By the way, you want to log everything to a single uh, aggregator, a, an RSS log. Uh, by the way, those logs you want to then pump into a... Uh, a, a big data solution, a Hadoop, and then MapReduce that and be able to elastic search your logs. That's a very typical Juju deploy wow. one thing, and wow. it deploys all of those services wow. onto 
a dozen different instances running in the public cloud, private cloud, or bare metal of your choice. Now, when, when Juju starts that, that instance, um, it, I would see Juju as being able to start that instance as a traditional Ubuntu image or perhaps a snappy Ubuntu image mm. where you've made the you've made the opinionated decision that this suite of services you're going to deploy in that that snappy transactionally upgraded model. That is uh, going to be a pretty compelling product offering altogether, and uh, it's a really interesting space. Containerization is bringing a lot of changes. Uh, Dustin, is there anything else you want to cover, anything else you want to let us know about uh, Ubuntu Snappy? Uh, man, come talk to us. Uh, Snappy, Snappy Devel is a mailing list. We've got an active community. Uh, we released just two days ago, just on Tuesday, and, and we put out uh, images in, in the first public cloud, uh, Azure. The other public clouds will be coming along the next couple of weeks. Uh, we published a, 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 uh, an initial image that you could play with in KVM, and within six hours, we had posts on the list of people contributing uh, vagrant images and VMware images. And uh, personally, it caught me a little bit by surprise, uh, not being a VMware or a, mm. a, a, a vagrant user that, oh, yeah, how we missed that. Uh, but fortunately, you know, we've got an active community uh, developing very quickly. So, uh, yeah, come come help us fill the, the gap, scratch your own itches uh, in, in the, the snappy world. Uh, a big thank you to Dustin for coming on the show. And uh, Popey, I couldn't help but notice... Uh, oh, he left, didn't he? Dang it, I couldn't help but notice on that video there, if you look closely, if you're watching the video version, you'll notice right there on the page, big pull quote from Microsoft. Microsoft loves Linux. Boom, right there on the page. <laughs> Premier Azure, the launch partner for Ubuntu Snappy Core. So he didn't seem to be too big on the whole uh, Ubuntu Snappy Core for the desktop. But, of course, he's the cloud guy, right? He's focused on the server stuff. So uh, I, I, that makes sense. I, I can't judge. I can't judge. But uh, I'm I'm looking forward to trying out Snappy Core. We've got Snappy Core, Fedora Cloud, and Core OS that are all kind of Fedora Cloud though doesn't. So what's 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 different here is Ubuntu Snappy and Core OS inherently as part of their product offering sort of solve that. I got to update the base OS but keep the applications isolated. Fedora Cloud is more of a traditional OS, distro, but if you employ things like Atomic, then you get more of that functionality. That's kind of my rough yeah. understanding. So it's it's really it's a it's an area that you've got really like three or four very clear different attempts to solve this problem. Some people would say it's fragmentation, but I think it's we're going to see uh which one actually wins the race. So uh, uh, anybody in the mumble room have any thoughts on the interview before we uh, move on to our Fedora review? Uh, I think it's great, and I really uh, am looking forward. I'm paying attention. That's pretty much it. Yeah, I agree. I think it's uh, – I think what where we're at right now is solving the I got to patch a lot and I don't want to break my apps problem. That's where we're at today. But what we're, where we're going to end up, I, I suspect, at the end of all of it is – this is how you install a new application on Linux. Period. Now we're not we're not anywhere near there yet, but I feel like what we are working towards is the world's most amazing solution to ins to solving that problem. How do you install X on Linux? I don't care what distro it is. How do you do it? And it's going to be one answer. And we're it's going to take us what we're going to document on this show and it's going to take a long-ass, tedious time, is the process of us going from, how do I update my rig all the time because, man, I keep getting exploited, 
That's where we're at today. But what we're going to watch that transform into is that how do I install it on Linux? And that's going to be an interesting journey for us to document. I think it's going to take more than 70 episodes, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think uh, so. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I think everybody wants to get to the Fedora review, and uh, I agree. I think Fedora 21 has been an amazing release. We've talked a lot about it. I hope the audience is okay with us deep diving like this uh, because we we obviously have been talking, and this will be about the third week or in a row or so that we're talking about it. Uh, but I feel like when when a Linux distribution – that's at least as important as Fedora, but any Linux distribution that has that that has as much of a wide reach that Fedora has, that as many that has as many contributors working for it that Fedora has, and has the role that Fedora has, to go through what we've seen it go through, to split off into these three distinctive flavors, to be to be willing when you're when you're at the size of Fedora, to just say f it and just go for it and just do something totally different, and and then to pull that off, like I, I'm gonna be honest. I kind of thought when Fedora was talking about going with three flavors and, and doing it in, in like essentially one release cycle, I was like, yeah, okay. Well, if you think you can pull that off, good luck to you. Yeah, you know, really. I mean, I was skeptical about it, and now here we are. Fedora 21's released. Yeah, a little delayed, no bigs, and it, and they seriously did it. So uh, I, that's incredible to me, and uh, I think it might be one of the most interesting distribution-related things that's happened this year. Not the only one, but one of them. Uh, so we're going to get the community's input on that. But first, let's talk about our friends at Ting. They're ending 2015 with a freaking bang. Ting is mobile that makes sense. My mobile service provider and Matt's. Uh, Linux.ting.com is where you go. Let's represent for the Linux Unplugged show at the end of 2014. Linux.ting.com. So why Ting? Why does it make sense? What do I mean by that? Well, First of all, no contract, right? Because the contract, it just really doesn't make any sense. But what also doesn't make any sense is paying into these plans that you may use plans. Like, like it, it feels like insurance, and I always kind of feel like that doesn't make sense either. Ting instead, it's just pay for what you use. So it starts with $6 for the line. That's all you pay. That's pretty straightforward. And I can afford that. Uh, so I've got three of them. Right, because what matters is what you actually freaking use. So it's just your minutes, your megabytes, your messages. They add them all up, and that's what you pay. If you want to turn on hotspot, that's fine. Do it. Make it, make it a Wi-Fi access point. That's just data usage, just not a big deal. And if you're savvy about using Wi-Fi, like when you're on Wi-Fi and you make your calls over that, I mean, you can have incredible savings with Ting because, again, you're just paying for what you use. So linux.ting.com, start there. Okay, that'll get you $25 off your first Ting device. If you have a device that's compatible, they have a bring your own device page where you can check that out. If you have a device that's compatible, well, they'll give you $25 of credits. Well, the first month, like, usually is like 26 bucks, So you're going to get your first month pretty much for free. If you have a contract, well, Ting's going to help you get out of that. So you're going to get $150 for the line that you have to cancel. Yeah, it's $150 in credits, but it's $150 in freaking credits. That's, that's money you won't have to pay for your cell service. That's really great. Plus, they have an awesome control panel. You can call them at one eight five five ting ftw anytime between 8 a.m. or 8 p.m. East Coast time. Yeah, it's East Coast time. I'm sorry about that. I know. I know. It's not Pacific. I'm sorry. But it's East Coast time. And, and a real human being answers the phone. That's okay. So that's like, boom. That's the foundation of Ting. You can already see they're thinking about this differently. You can see they're trying to disrupt the crazy-ass restrictive mobile industry. You, okay, that's, that's pretty straightforward. But what... What struck me about Ting is when they don't have to, when they don't gotta, they're going out of their way to make their stance on issues clear. They recently had a blog post about net neutrality. 
that I thought was really well reasoned and really well put together. And I thought, okay, you know, like I feel like my money's going to a good place. Like they're they're coming here, they're thinking about this rationally, they're taking a stand, they're articulating that stand really well. And I thought that's really cool. You know, it's a, they're 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 screwing with the mobile industry by offering something totally different. They're about to roll GSM and CDMA out at the same time, starting in 2015, which is going to be a game changer. I'm like, I'm loving all of that. But let's be honest, like there's more that could be done, right? I mean, wireless is is fundamentally critical to the future of of a lot of mobile apps, a lot of mobile web stuff. But at the end of the day. I still got that wired connection. And I cannot believe it. I, this is what I love about Ting. This is why I, I always preach vote with your wallet. Ting is going to launch. And now they're starting small. I mean, they, they, they have to start within reason. But they're going after residential internet access now. See, now this is just the beginning of something. It's not a big thing. It's only in one area right now because, you know, it's just like Google Fiber. They got to start small. But they are, raising, they, are, they are starting to roll out crazy fast fiber access to the home and they're going to take the whole ting model to all of it i think it's like there this could be huge for everyone like not just users of ting but everyone on the internet they seriously care about this stuff and again that's what we talk about voting with your wallet. linux.ting.com go there they got it on their blog you can read about it but go to linux.ting.com first so that way we get credit for your visit right but then go over to their blog and check this out they're rolling out fiber. Unfortunately, it's like in Virginia right now. Yeah, Charlotte. Charlottesville. Charlottesville. <sighs> I want it so bad. This is so cool. I think this is, this, is, this is another example of a great sponsor that I'm really, really happy to have because I really believe in what they're trying to do. And I think that's just so amazing. I mean, they've already they, – for, for the last two years, I've, I, it's totally changed the way I think about mobile. It's changed how I look at the whole industry. And now I'm going to look at what they're doing at residential ISP service. This Ting is crazy, and I love it. Linux.ting.com. Go over there and check them out. See, see how much you could save. They have a savings calculator. Check them out. Linux.ting.com. And a big thanks to Ting for sponsoring the Linux Unplugged show. Okay, guys. So let's talk about Fedora 21. Uh, let's get started. First up, get Fedora.org. It's their new site. They're very proud of it. And you know what I find to be interesting on this site? First sentence. Fedora is now more focused. And isn't that true? Like, isn't that exactly like what they've addressed in Fedora 21? You've got your workstation release, your server release, and your cloud release. Now, I think probably not a large leap of, of, uh, of, of assumption here to, to, to consider. We've probably all just been looking at the workstation release. Not a lot of us looked at the server or cloud, right? Anybody done any of the server or cloud stuff? I didn't think so. That's fine. And we'll, maybe we'll do that in the future. So uh, let's start with uh, Fedora Workstation. Uh, go ahead and tag me in the mumble room, anybody that wants to start. I'll begin with uh, my experience, tell you what I did, and then uh, we'll jump into the mumble room. Uh, so I installed Fedora 21 64-bit on, a, uh, on my Bonobo and also on a Dell uh, Sputnik laptop that was sent to me by Kernel Linux in the mumble room. And I also <clears throat> tried it for like about a half hour on a Apple MacBook Pro, like, 2013-ish. I don't really know the, the model number. Uh, so that was the range of hardware that I experimented with Fedora 21 on, all GNOME across the board, because I decided to go with the environment that I was most comfortable with. Uh, so let's start with uh, Kernel Linux. How was your experience on your laptop? 
So I installed it on my on my Dell uh, E6320, and that worked really great. In fact, that's my new daily operating system now, is 21, and that oh. worked really well. But I had a Nook that I that I use for doing different things, and that was when it first came out. I wanted to throw it on something, and that was what happened to be laying around, and it sucks. The lock the lock screen freezes up. So like if I were to switch over to that computer right now, I have to hit escape like 15 times and wait like 30 seconds. And it's running on an 840 Pro SSD. So I shouldn't be waiting for it, but I do wait for it. And that doesn't happen in Ubuntu 14.4. So hmm. I don't know. Okay. You know, I had my first like, oh my God, it's going to happen moment with Fedora 21. <laughs> I don't have these very often anymore uh, with computers. I guess it just like, it just doesn't happen a lot. And, uh, Matt, it's kind of funny because it makes me—it made me think of the monkey suit right away. Um, <laughs> of course. Yeah. Oh no. I—I uh, I was on my—I was on the uh, the uh, uh, the Sputnik that uh, Colonel Linux sent me that I've uh, selfishly held onto. Thank you, Colonel Linux. <laughs> and uh, it's an Intel chip in the Sputnik, and I thought, well, so I'm I'm all open source through and through right now. Right. And at the GDM login screen, and you hit the little gear button, you have you know your GNOME desktop, GNOME Classic, and then on there is GNOME. And Wayland, and so I chose GNOME Wayland, and I logged in, and then at first I thought, did it not work? Um, I think it's still using X. Like, and I launched like Terminal, I launched Chrome, yeah. I launched the Activities Overview. I'm like, oh, I guess it didn't work. And then I started to realize like a couple of things weren't working quite right. Like my trackpad, like I I couldn't click on stuff. I could move the mouse with the trackpad, but I couldn't click on anything, and I couldn't scroll. But if I had a USB mouse, I could use that. And I started to realize, oh, I I actually I actually I'm using Wayland right now. I'm I'm using Wayland with GNOME 3 and the Chrome browser right now. And I had this total, like, oh, my God, I'm using Wayland and it's working flawlessly moment. And, like, it it was amazing. Like, here we are. I, you know, I keep saying this, the end of 2014. But I actually I actually just had, like, a essentially trouble-free Wayland desktop. No futzing, except for my trackpad. It didn't work. But it was it was kind of like... Fedora 21 was my first, and it was like, oh, wow, thank you. That was incredible. And now I know, like, it's X Whalen doing all the windowing stuff, but it was it was kind of amazing. Uh, R.A., I, I, I know you were here specifically to touch on Whalen. Do you have any, any comments on that? R.A.? Raw. Raw. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm sorry, Raw. Yeah, I'm sorry, Raw. Yeah, actually, I would like to announce that I'm running on Whalen right now. And I think I'm the first person uh, in the in the chat room to to talk while on Wayland. Yeah, Is that you might true? be our. Fir- you, I think you are our first um, uh, Wayland-based mumbler. <laughs> and, nice. and actually, I had the same story like you, Chris. Um, my my trackpad doesn't work, and I had the same Wayland surprise. Like I tried uh, Rebecca Black Linux, which was supposed <laughs> to to work out well, <laughs> and also uh, Fedora twenty and all those shenanigans as matt would say and uh it didn't work and in federal suddenly i realized i was on wayland it didn't crash and it run run runs fine yeah yeah it's pretty neat i mean it's not done but it's pretty neat to see that happen and uh i don't know i mean it's been a big discussion piece for a long time so uh uh uh, raw i'm sorry uh you'll be our wayland correspondent okay you keep us updated on your wayland developments all right (laughs) <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Very good. Thank you. Uh, so, uh, any other comments from the Mumble Room on their uh, Fedora Twenty One experience? I'll I'll end it with this, and I, I I was I'm hoping maybe somebody can walk me back from the ledge. 
But uh, I, 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 I'm ready to declare Fedora 21 my next distro if I jump. I'm ready, but wow! Before, before, I mean, I give people give walk me back, walk me back from it. But I'm just, I'm just right now. Here's the thing. Here's what's limiting: is the software availability still sucks. And I will. I also, before I go in this, have to acknowledge. How do you mean? Well, like, uh, for example, uh, Heropad, uh, a Markdown editor, uh, does not exist for Fedora. It's it's a total impossibility. Um, it's it's a nightmare. I even tried building it from source, and it ran like ass. It was a total nightmare. Uh, but you know, if I'm on Ubuntu, I got a PPA ready to go. If I'm on the Arch, well, of course, the AUR has got that as year, like you know a decade ago. It had that in there. Two hundred years ago, it had that in there. But when I go to Fedora, I'm like a no man's land, right? Okay, Viber. Viber's an Viber is another example. I I don't like it. I admit it is a, a crap application that we should move away from. But I need it to correspond with people that are in the field and people that are out and about. And okay, Viber's the thing you know what if you're on fedora go screw yourself you're on arch no problem you're on ubuntu no problem you're on fedora i hate you and i it that kind of stuff drives me crazy with fedora and whereas with arch like again i'm not saying this applies to everybody but because i install four to five to six to seven to eight to ten applications a week that way i can pick one of those mother effers on the Linux Action Show because I reinstall that many applications. Like when I have to go out of my way to find a repo or download an RPM or build it from source, like that adds 10 to 15 minutes. And if I'm doing five to 10 to those a week, that's stupid because in the AUR, nowadays I just go Packer-S and I just put the name of the damn package in there and I've got it. I don't even look to see if they've got it because they've got it. Now, that's where Fedora falls short. If that is, which only probably applies literally maybe to me. Like, there might not be anybody else in the world that that applies to, and I accept that. If that does not apply to you, I feel like Fedora's got most of it because Copper's got a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff in the RPM Fusion and additional repos around Fedora. And if you use scripts like Fedly, F-E-D-L-Y or whatever it is, it'll set up a ton of stuff for you under Fedora that makes it a pretty good setup. It t- for me right now, Fedora 21, it's the longest setup, like it's the most post like installation work, but the process of doing that is fairly automated, fairly easy. Like you can pretty much just do it, sit click 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 and you're done. It takes a lot of work, but after that work's done, it's ready to go. And if you start with something like Corora, which I don't think has their 21 release out yet, but Corora Linux which is Fedora with all the goodies that are evil pre-built in, then it's even a quicker go. So that's what I mean. With Fedora 21, it's great with the exception that it does require a lot of work to get going. If you want Steam, you want proprietary drivers, you want codecs, you want Flash, you want Java, you know, Chrome, you know, that kind of stuff. It takes a while. That's fine. Yeah, I've definitely found that I the one area Fedora doesn't quite do it for me is package availability because I do find myself needing either PPAs or AUR or something that has a little more. Yeah. Um, it's not even about being recent. It's just about me not having to compile it you know, now, or dig through an RPM and um, roll dice or whatever. Yeah, I agree with you, Matt. I do. Uh, uh, Rotten Corpse, go ahead. Yeah, I've actually uh, set up 
the my laptop to be the Fedora, so it's like my second distro choice now. Um, but, but mainly because uh, copper is one of the things I'm super excited about. Yeah. So can you can you kind of explain a, a little bit about copper because we've name dropped it. We talked about it on Sunday's Linux Action Show. It, is it fair to say it's sort of an AUR Arch equivalent, an Arch user repository? Well, it's, equivalent? it's more of a PPA, more of a PPA equivalent. Explain. So you can build you can build different. Uh, is you build different branches kind of thing, so the different packages. The only thing that I see so far that I don't like about Copper is that it's restricted to, like, open source, free software type of stuff. Oh, okay. So, um, because it, the reason you say that is because the building doesn't happen on the Fedora workstation when you install the package? Right. Okay. They, they set up the builds on their servers. Gotcha. Uh, now, uh, uh, Dave, didn't you wanted to comment on uh, on other desktops besides GNOME? Yeah, uh, I'm just saying, um, while GNOME is the default offering, uh, it's not the only offering, and other desktops do work flawlessly uh, on Fedora. If you're running Cinnamon, KDE, LXD, whatever, uh, don't expect to have problems. It's not something like Unity. Right. uh, You can only install that. Yeah, very true, very true. In fact, uh, uh, Matthew Miller said that KDE is a very important desktop as well as many of the others. Uh, Ra, you've been using the OpenSUSE build service with your Fedora installation? Yeah, yeah, and I found that it uh, works really nice. Sometimes they provide Fedora uh, packages, sometimes the OpenSUSE packages work. It's been really smooth, but I agree that it's kind of hard. For example, I didn't get Eclipse to work until I... uh, (laughs) found out that the dev tool that they bundle with the workstation actually works perfect for that. Well, uh, I'll tell you, uh, it is a pretty great service. Eric, I know that's something you're familiar with, right? Correct. I've been, I have used the OpenSUSE build service uh, quite a bit, especially in OpenSUSE to use to get stuff installed, to find packages and whatnot. Uh, the only thing is they don't have Fedora 21 just yet. They probably will in the soon future, I would imagine. But they don't have the ability yeah. to build packages for Fedora 21 just yet. Right. I'm looking forward to that because, like, for instance, the KDE Connect Indicator, which has been our subreddit a couple times, uh, it it can be installed on OpenSUSE. It's just not very successful. Yeah. But it's built for Fedora 20. It works properly in Fedora 20. It just needs to be compiled for Fedora 21, and that'd be fine. You you kind of went through the process of trying to uh, submit the uh, that to the copper I don't, is it repository? I'm not sure what to call it. But yeah, it, just copper, I guess. Uh, and I did, but the build failed. And the build failed because it... Well, actually, no, the build succeeded. I I apologize. The build succeeded. When I went to install, it failed to function. Uh, so I'm not exactly sure why yeah, that is. Yeah. It does the same thing in OpenSUSE. So I imagine because they're in the git sources i think it is built more for debian and ubuntu than it is for anything else yeah. so it so it's a matter of just making it compatible i know there's people working on it in the git repository so this is the this is the hurdle that fedora now has to overcome is the the linux desktop market has moved on and i i don't mean to disparage fedora but in this, in that sense, like it is just simply so much easier to get some of that software for Ubuntu and for Arch. Two examples that are very popular: KDE Connect and Harupad. 
Harupad is an amazing markdown editor that is really gaining in popularity. We talked about it like three or four months ago in the Linux Action Show, and they've just been blowing up since then, right? It's available for Ubuntu. It's available for Arch. It's not available for Fedora. Now, those are just isolated examples, but I believe it is the I believe that is Fedora's problem now. Now, what they have done here, I think, has laid the groundwork to address that. Fedora Workstation, I had a conversation with Michael Dominic on Monday's Coda Radio, and where he's, uh, he's back on Linux now for his development workstation, and he was asking, you know, if I reload, what should I switch to? And I made a pitch for Fedora. Because honestly, they've got Dev Assist. They've got a, they're, they're really close to upstream. That's one of the things I've always said about Arch that I liked a lot is I felt like I'm closer to upstream. Well, Fedora's got that. It's, it, but it also has sort of that background leadership by Red Hat, which I believe at the end of the day to have a commercial entity that says, you know what? We got to produce something here. We got to, we got, we got stuff we got to do. I think that actually is just what it takes to prevent issues like we've just seen with Debian. But they're not, but it's not where they're like directly pulling all of the strings. I think it's just the right mix. I like that about Fedora, right? So I think I, from that perspective, I enjoy it. The fact that they're, they're all in with GNOME, I think that really makes it a great GNOME experience. And the dev assist stuff, all of that, I think actually makes it a pretty compelling developer's workstation, just like they've been pitching it. So when he asked me, what should I use for my Linux workstation? I mean, I honestly, I, I gave a re- I gave a harder pitch for Ubuntu Mate fourteen oh four, but I said, with that considered, Fedora twenty one is a serious, serious contender. And if you've watched me over the years, you know how I felt about Fedora, right? It's, I mean, if you look at some of our shows from five years ago. Compared to what I'm saying about Fedora today, they have turned it around, I think. Oh, I agree. I definitely agree with that. I, th- I definitely like the direction they're going with everything except software availability. Everything yeah. else is honestly blowing right. everyone else right. out of the water. Yeah, nailed it. You nailed it. That's exactly in, in a nutshell. That's exactly the so and 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 the software availability is slowly improving and it and yes. it, it actually is going in the right direction. So it's it's pretty cool. And I think that'll probably button I, up our coverage. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I just have a word of clarity that KDE Connect works flawlessly in Fedora under KDE. However, yeah, using yeah. the KDE Connect indicator, which is for other desktop environments, it doesn't work quite so well. Uh, also, okay. uh, the, uh, the uh, chat room has been asking, and uh, Kernel Linux, you'll be happy to hear. Uh, so I, I tried out Fedora 21 on a MacBook. It does, it, it just does not go to graphical environment at all if you have a second monitor hooked up over the Thunderbolt adapter. But if you are just doing a single monitor, everything except for, well, I didn't try the webcam or wireless, but uh, Bluetooth, Thunderbolt, Ethernet works. But what was really impressive is it not only supports the Retina display on the MacBook, but GNOME looks pretty good. Like, the Chrome and Firefox, the text is really small, but the GNOME UI itself... Um, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, ha- I don't have a lot of experience with quote unquote retina display, but it was amazing to look at I gnome th- on that resolution. It looked great. I think you could fix the remainder of your problems just by, I think what the problem is, is it conflicts with the existing macOS operating system. I think if you were to take that off, <laughs> I think then everything would work fine. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Uh, so, anyways, I was a per- I was I was kind of flabbergasted. It was, it's the first time I've ever just put a thumb drive into a MacBook Pro, booted it up, and <laughs> and actually had Linux working on it, and you know able to use the networking and all of that. So uh, that there you go. I am very impressed with Fedora twenty one. Uh, w W, why don't you give us your closing thoughts on your experience with Fedora twenty one? 
Well, I'm going to have to preface it with saying I tried it on seven-year-old hardware, and I thought, oh, it's Linux. It should work. And I ran into issues um, where I could just not install for the life of me, no matter what. Um, oh, from, really? What, yeah. I mean, I, I'm running it on an AMD. Uh, it's my other laptop, not my main laptop. But um, it's an AMD 2 gigahertz dual core with an NVIDIA 6150. And it just, yeah. after, like, when it went to format the drive and install, I left it there for, like, two hours. And, I, like, you were doing tech snap at the time. And by the time that was over, I'm still waiting for the system now to that's run. that's a long time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, I did want to, uh, for the most part, the from what I experienced of the install, um, it kind of reminded me of that Windows feel where it had a good level of polish, but I still felt it um, had some work to be done, like yeah. the warnings could be up higher for right. when you're trying to install something. Well, and actually, the, pause right there just for a sec. Uh I was actually kind of impressed with the way that they brought forward the SE Linux alerts and would tell you, here's what SE Linux has detected. Here's like three or four fairly solid options you can do to resolve this problem. I thought, A, that was impressive. And B, Yum or DNF, it, like I added the Dropbox repository for Fedora before it was ready. And what, what Yum does, when you do a Yum update and uh, and, the, and then the Dropbox repo 404s because there's – you know, there's, they don't have anything set up for 21 yet. Instead of yum essing the bed, what it does is like it says, "Hey, bro, you know, I'm having troubles contacting this repo. Uh, you can run this command to disable the repo, or you can run this command and just say, you know what, ignore it when it 404s. It's no bigs, and it's like it's just enough power, but yet holding enough hand holding that when you're new to yum or DNF, you know what to do next. Like I, I having some having some you know, basic Linux knowledge and system administration knowledge are okay, admittedly more than basic, but like that was enough. The information they provided me, I was able to take actions based on that and resolve my SE Linux issues and resolve my Yum repo issues. And I thought it was really slick the way they handled it. So are you talking about that WW or you're talking about something else? No, no. I, I, I feel like my issue was more like a, like a hardware incompatibility issue, or maybe I needed to throw a switch on some setup script or when it booted off of the USB stick to do something. But I got no such prompt at all during the process. I, um, I know Popey felt the same way about like um, a certain issue with how the setup was for partitioning, and I thought it was confusing, and he did as well. I don't know if he had some further yeah, no, I, thoughts I, on that. You know, thank you for bringing that up too. Um, yeah, I, I did feel like while the overall installer it's growing on me, uh, they've had it, you know, this essential one for a little while now. Uh, I, I felt like so every time I was installing Fedora twenty one on every rig I installed it on because you know it's two thousand and fourteen. I already had an operating system <laughs> installed, right? It wasn't a blank drive. I don't, I don't, I, I, I okay. I don't know in what scenario somebody is installing Fedora on a system that's never had another operating system, but it, it probably happens like in the server space and stuff. I'll, I'll grant them that. But on the desktop, what Fedora tries to do is like it's going to hook you up. Like it doesn't want to mess with you. So it, you know what you know what it's going to do? It's going to shrink stuff and it's going to try to fit Fedora in like some free space for you. 
but I don't want it to do that. I want it to wipe out all the partitions and set up a, you know, have at it, Haas, go for it, Fedora. And in order to get to that, you got to go like, you got to select the drive and then you got to go into the special reclaim space menu. And then you got to select the partitions that you're willing to reclaim space from. And then when you click that, when you click that, it doesn't actually represent in the visual that you're now reclaiming that space. It's not until you click apply that it then represents it. So you don't really get a chance to visualize what it is you're about to do before you make the action. And the entire time, you're not even sure that's where you're supposed to be making that change at. And so I felt like the partitioning definitely was one of the rougher areas. But once I wrapped my brain around what they were trying to do, every subsequent Fedora install, I didn't have a problem. Yeah, I, I did try it on another laptop, and I think um, and it worked better. So I think I might just try um, a different USB stick and put some space and give it a better try on another system and see how it turns out for me. Ra, you had a, some ButterFS uh, experience feedback? Yeah, actually, the uh, I had a previous setup with OpenSUSE, and uh, there were a couple of ButterFS partitions on there. And then I decided to go all in on uh, Fedora 21, even before it came out. And <laughs> yeah. uh, that's not happened since I ditched Windows, let me tell you. Yeah. And uh, Fedora, just the, the partitioning uh, scheme, the editor, messed it up. Then I had uh, like 20 ButterFS partitions, which all were empty subvolumes uh, in, in the uh, partitioning uh, editor. And it actually created all those. And I thought, well, let's let's do it. Maybe it's just a bug and then it actually created all those but uh, that was before the release and they fixed that so it should work right now Hmm. i hope it does yeah huh all right and uh, dave you have a better way for the partitioning uh yeah uh there are uh, simpler ways to actually do it you just simply delete the partitions uh the thing about fedora 21 and most uh fedora installs since i think the new installer uh, it doesn't actually write changes to your disk until you begin the installation. Right, okay. Uh, mm. So you can make changes uh, however way, whichever way you want uh, by just simply adding and deleting disks and deleting partitions. Yeah. Uh, when you actually get to the partition menu, which I admit is a little confusing at first, but you just press the little minus sign on the bottom and your partitions will be gone and you can write whatever new configuration that you want anywhere you want it. So there is that. Uh, secondly, to uh, WWNSX's point, um, I would like to ask him which spin he was using because if he was installing GNOME 3 or something heavy, uh, uh, it might take a very long time because uh, a default GNOME 3 install has, I think, somewhere around 1,400 packages to install from like the core utilities to uh, all of the GNOME stuff. Yeah. So obviously it would take a while. The advantage, obviously, is that it doesn't download stuff from the internet, so you can do it right. offline. Right. Uh, I, I also, before we go any further, I just want to I want to make a caveat that Dave, uh, his audio is a little crackly. Uh, yeah. He's been experiencing some problems under Linux when he boots into Windows; the crackle goes away. So we're troubleshooting that. So we apologize, but you know, it's what happens sometimes as Linux users. All right. So WW, did you have a response to that? Yeah, I was. Uh, I just grabbed a workstation ISO sixty-four uh, bit off of Fedora's site and just downloaded it, um, put it yeah. on the USB drive, and just ran it. So, um, but my what I, what I think happened is those whole system locked up because my mouse was movable. But mm-hmm. just I was just letting it sit and just format the partition, 
And at one point, it just became immovable, and I left it for oh. like until I thought I'm going to have to hard reboot, and it just froze and on the format uh, formatting of the drive. So that's what happened for me. Good. Then obviously, yeah, that, that was probably installed a bug. That happens from time to time to the best of us. Yeah, is so, that yeah. true? <laughs> I mean, it happens with every disher out there. Yeah. You have to be careful about that. Bugs happen from time to time to the best of us. Ra, you have our closing thought uh, you wanted to say? Uh, yes. Go ahead. Go ahead. You, you you have it, sir. No? All right. Closing uh, thoughts? Yeah, yeah, then? I'm there. Sorry, I yeah. didn't, didn't push. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, um, so the budgie desktop, I, I'm not sure uh, whether you tried it out, but it's on. It's big on Google Plus. They have a great community, and it's actually a quite quite a good desktop. I wouldn't prefer it over GNOME three, but that's just because I'm used to it. Is it uh, Fedora based or what's it based on? It's GTK based. It's GNOME based. Well, right. Yeah, um, I know that. But what's the that, what's that, the underlying that, distro that uh, it's based on? Yes, Fedora. I think. Okay. Uh, I don't know what it's based on, but it's at least easily installable. Um, on Fedora, just to add a repo file. Yeah, very good. All right, that's another check it out. You know, every now and then, as the holidays come up, from time to time, some of you have a little extra time on your hands. Some of you don't, if you're like me, especially with the three kids. Tell you what, Matt, I want to move to Texas. I'm going to set up the JB Ranch. I'll have all of the hosts come down. They can live on the ranch. I'll be like George Lucas. Oh, and then, and, right. it, and all of it is just so that way when the family calls up and they'll be like, hey, are you coming to Christmas? I'll be like, oh, yeah, you know what? Sorry, uh... Gosh, I'd love to come to Christmas, but you know what? I'm in Texas. Yeah, I'm in Texas. That's what I want to do, Matt. So what do you well, think? you know what would be cool is when bacon's ready, you could just ring a bell, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and when all the hosts right come, like, heads pop up out of the <laughs> ding, cattle. Ding, 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 ding. Like, and all of the hosts, all the producers, that yeah. would get some stuff done. Uh, I think that's a great idea. Well, maybe we'll work that out in uh, 2016. In the meantime, go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact and send us your feedback. It's a huge part of the Linux Unplugged show. Also, linuxactionshow.reddit.com is where you go to give us your feedback. If there was something like, God, why didn't these guys talk about this? These idiots. Well, it's probably because you didn't submit it to our subreddit. LinuxActionShow.reddit.com. Also, go over there to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. We won't have a live show next week, but we will have a new show. But we need your best of submissions. We're still taking those. Check it out. We need your help. Next week, we'll have a new episode of sorts. It'll be some of our best of stuff with some uh, moments from me mixed in there. So, Matt, have a great Christmas, and I'll see you in two weeks, okay? Sounds good. See you then. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. We'll see you right back here in two weeks. Totally, I totally want to mess with Texas. Great show. That was a good show. Great end that of was. year. Uh, oh, of course, it's not the end of year. We have one more show in us. But uh, I, I feel like this is the last show of the year in a sense. The next show, yeah. like it's like a, I don't know what it is. It's like a, a freebie. But uh, thanks, everybody. It was a great input. So jbtitles.com, we got to go boat. Boat. Everybody, go over there right now. Thing, 
Yeah, one thing I'd just like to say. Yeah. Uh, everything you talked about, uh, th- think about Yum, okay, and Yum has its flaws, let me tell you that. <laughs> but uh, uh, think about Yum, think about SE Linux, uh, the installer, everything has worked perfectly fine since Fedora 18. Yeah, uh, right. I've been I, using Fedora with Thank KDE. you. I didn't mean to imply yeah, that the SE true. Linux alerts and stuff yeah. and the Yum stuff was new to 21. I didn't... I, 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 so, you know, I sometimes assume people know that, and so I don't disclose that. And, and really what I was trying to say is it's part of the overall experience now on 21 is you have all of that stuff combined with everything else. Yes. So. No, the thing is, Yum sucks. Yum is a goddamn. <laughs> it, it coming from me, that's saying something. <laughs> oh! I don't know. Wow. I mean, it didn't seem that bad. Of course, I was mostly using DNF, but I, it didn't seem that bad. Yeah, yeah. no, you, you use apt. Goddamn. So I can see it on, like, uh, the internet that I do not like yum as much as I like app. That being said, there are certain advantages, and these advantages have been there for a very long time. So, yeah. have you tried using DNF? I have. I have a couple of times. It's it's yum. What it's what yum should have been. Uh, yeah. I like uh, Lord Wimpy as one of our title suggestions. That's pretty good, considering <laughs> that uh, Wimpy's so badass. Uh, Fedora Twenty One Frags misconceptions is a little long. That's not bad, though. It's a little long. Tips for dough. Like oh, my sorry, opinion. Little, uh, nod to Zanonic. Yeah, I do like that aspect of it. I do agree. Steam's winter is coming. Yeah. WW, you know where my head's at. Uh, mm-hmm. Wi-Fi enabled microbrew. That's right, token ring paying there attention. We go. Chris's bacon farm down F- in Texas. Bacon farm. <laughs> I had a question for Wimpy, though. Is this a remote oh, uh, cloud top work with the brewer? The brewery, brewery. What is it sure called? Sure, it does. Sure, it does. The the brewery, the brewery. I think it is. Brewery, that's it. Yeah. yeah. I have no idea. If you buy me one, I'll test it. For yeah, you. there How's you go. That? All right. So I could see that becoming popular at frat houses. I don't. Uh, I don't mean to uh, overhype this, but I think we are currently experiencing a title crisis. This is the title crisis Uh-oh. of 2014 Winter Uh-oh. Vortex Edition. Uh, I don't like any of the titles in the uh, top five ranking right now. I need everybody to go to jbtitles.com. This is this is a crisis. This is a crisis. You are entitled to your wrong opinion. <laughs> I am entitled. <laughs> hey, uh, Wimpy, I like your, uh, what did you call it, uh, cloud top computing? What did you call that? Yeah, link bait. That's what that was. I know, but that was good. <laughs> yeah. That was good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, cloud top computing, yeah. You know, it reminded me, I was on Tech Talk today, I was telling, a, on the pre-show, I was telling a story uh, about uh, five or six years ago, I worked at a school district, and not only did they have abysmally slow internet, but they also had really restrictive filters, content filters, as you might expect. It's But to the point of where it made it hard to even do, you know, some IT troubleshooting and things like that, because certain open source projects were, you know, flagged, and it was really, even like, I think for a time, Jupiter Broadcasting was flagged. Uh, but this was five or six years ago, right? This wasn't really in the era of like digital ocean droplets anymore. And so I had I had a friend who had a data center down in Texas, and he gave me a co-located server. It was like an Optron box. I think it had two Optron processors in it and about 16 gigabytes of RAM. And uh, it was Red Hat Linux. I think it was Red Hat Enterprise something old. And uh, it it was a full-fledged like real – PC like you know server like it wasn't a v- it wasn't a VM it was a full racked box that I was getting for about 120 to 135 dollars a month including an NFS attached storage array that I had for like big stuff which was really cool and what I did back then and I I know I think we've talked about this before Wimpy is I didn't use X to go which is what you're using I use something called No Machine uh, NX or MX do you yeah. remember this yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, that's what that's what I'm using at work at the moment, and I'm about to replace with X to go. 
Yeah, X, so uh, I, from what my experience was with No Machine, again, it goes over SSH. It uses pretty good compression. It can even do like remote sound. I, you know, I, I mean, it was amazing for me because I essentially had like a GNOME 2 or XFCE style desktop, and I could even watch YouTube videos 20, 30 frames per second, maybe if I was lucky. And the, but the audio would be synced up, and it was extremely, extremely usable. I would close the window, my session would just remain. I would reconnect, and I'd resume right where I left off. So, what is the main advantage? of X to go over say no machine because no machine still a thing too yeah um, X to go is just blitzing quick and uh, lighter weight um, so the the core uh, implementation takes about 35 meg of RAM and when you actually connect to a full Ubuntu Mate session you can run it in 125 meg of RAM oh. and doing doing that over uh, I use FreeNX currently with Ubuntu um 1004 we're about to ditch that and an update but that that uses about twice twice the ram and that's um that's where um freenx uh, which is uh the open source implementation of no machine um so yeah but um yeah like you say you've got all of that good stuff like transparent audio relay so you uh, your your audio transparently shifts from the uh from the remote instance to your local instance yes it's very slick. and yes you can you can watch sd video from like youtube and what have you but um where x to go starts to differentiate itself is you've got this um transparent uh shunting of your directories um from your local machine to the remote machine which all happens over sshfs and you just right click share a folder pick a folder and then boom it appears on the desktop wow as would, a mounted drive would, would on you, the remote uh, instance would you be up for doing a segment with us on last like in january sometime on that because that is really cool the file system set up like that is definitely very neat i'd love to I show can. people I, I, t- I tell you what maybe we want to wait a little bit longer because since i i posted about that i've been talking to digital ocean and i'm now working with their editorial team to turn this into a <laughs> that is so proper- proper tutorial um so there's there's going to be several articles and i was talking about this in the lobby with some of the other guys prior to to the to the stream starting so we're going to we're going to do the initial recreating what i've done so as an individual you can create a droplet and deploy a desktop into it and uh, i'll explain what the potential use cases for that are but then taking it full circle uh, what we're going to be looking at is if you're a, a small business and you want to uh, control your distributed works workforces um, computing environment and you've got a bring your own device policy, how you can set up centralized authentication right. for these multiple instances and you know what your fixed costs are per employee per month. It's going to cost you 10 bucks a month for a workstation instance, which they can connect to from a Mac machine or a Windows machine or a tablet or whatever. So are, are you, just to hold on, just put you on pause. Are you telling me that what you're what you're working on is a way to take somebody, say, that has multiple droplets that are desktop instances that they connect to where they have a secure place to work? But they would all also have maybe like on the private networking side a centralized login system like Open Open LDAP or something. Precisely that on the centralized authentication side, but also building on DigitalOcean's private networking. Um, the end game is once you've got central authentication and multiple instances on a larger droplet, deploying Open Media Vault and <laughs> using the private networking to create a virtual distributed. Oh my office. gosh, that is brilliant yeah of course 
Oh, wow. Of course you could do that. That is so slick. That is, that is, that, I want to do that. I want to do that. Nice. <laughs> right, Matt? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's oh, like, yeah. when you hear that, like, wait a minute. Okay, hold on. I, who needs computers anymore? I'm just going to build droplets. I'll have a, I'll have a, an open media vault rig up there. I'll Seriously? have a Plex rig up there. I'm going to do this. That is, Wimpy, you got to yeah. tell us how that goes. That's really cool. Well, it yeah, changes so, the economics of everything, really. Quite. And, and, you know, what I've got here, what I've been experimenting with is there are a number of thin client solutions, and we were talking about some of those earlier. But the one I'm using is I've got a Raspberry Pi with uh, – in fact, you know about this, Chris, because Q5Sys gave you one – a Raspberry Pi with an mm-hmm. Atrix laptop. Yeah. So uh, – and then a wireless dongle. The whole thing runs wirelessly off the internal battery for um, 10 hours. Wow. And I've got a minimal Arch instance on that Raspberry Pi which boots to open box automatically starts the X2Go client and then I log in to my remote Ubuntu Mate droplet and as far as my workstation is concerned I am you know I've got a full Ubuntu Mate workstation far more powerful than the Raspberry Pi I'm using She's to no connect kidding. to no kidding no kidding that is that talk about taking a Raspberry Pi and like just making it essentially a, a transparent shim between you and the remote system that has yeah. potentially you know a huge connection, uh, super fast SSD. That is wimpy. And, and Jeez, a, that's a, cool. And a Raspberry Pi is like a super cheap version of this. But when you look at these deployments uh, that are happening, um, where Windows is being replaced with a Linux desktop, it's not being replaced with a Linux desktop on that Windows machine by and large they are remote terminal services and mm. that windows machine is being yeah. repurposed as a thin client I have seen that. so this is you know this is this is how you can you know bridge that gap and, and minimize your your hardware expenditure this pushes so many buttons for me because uh remote desktops used to be something that uh not only did i so i took a i took what was once the the largest independent bank here in in washington which is no longer the case after 2008 but we moved them from DOS to terminal services. But then I went to school districts and did Linux terminal services project. And and then when I was working for the school district, I did the no machine thing for myself. And what you're talking about right now is like is so up my alley. It is like my bag. So I would I really want you to keep me updated on this because I would love not only would I love to just talk to you about this, but I would love to even show people how to do this because this could be seriously a way. To, to show people that watch the Linux Action Show a, a, a very straightforward, very cost-effective way to build out a remote Linux-based desktop. doesn't matter if, if, if all of their employees want to have MacBooks and iPads and iPhones. That's fine. But when you log in to do the work, you log into our secure environment under control, under our control, up in the cloud, connected over private networking to our internal resources. Exactly. And that solves your bring-your-own-device IT governance problem right there. And your file format compatibility problem with Mac users with one version of Microsoft Office and Windows users with another Microsoft Office version. And, you know, it just solves all of that. Wow, that's slick. Wow. And and the other piece, a little bit further out, because this is in the unstable branch at the moment, and I mentioned it a few weeks ago, but um, there's um, a bolt-on protocol for X2Go called Telekinesis. And that was that's a general purpose um, protocol, but it was really developed to facilitate uh, M teleplayer. So now what you can do is you can have full HD content 
on the remote instance and instead of using the X2Go protocol to send the rendered video, it actually streams the video back to your remote machine, but in a window, and it looks like it's being rendered on the remote machine, but it's not. It's actually the video is being streamed. So um, I, I'll just go off and find a little video. There's a video of two full HD screens running a 4K video over X2Go and MTD no. player. No. Yeah, I'll, I'll just go and find it. It's on YouTube. Hang on a sec. I'll, I'll be back. <laughs> okay. I'll be back in a bit. Wow, that is amazing. This, this feels like we're getting like uh, ice cream with our pie. Right? I know. It's like and getting like double scoops. So you guys know I've been, I've been trying out this touchscreen for a little bit. And uh, it's pretty solid. Uh, surprising. Little big Dell thing. Yeah, yeah. It's surprisingly good. Um, I'm happy overall with the picture quality. One thing that I I have noticed is, uh, you know, it's like the things you don't expect. Like, I, I, I guess thinking about it, when I got this monitor, my plan was to fix up one of the old Hackintoshes that I used to use as the switcher. It's a pretty nice Hackintosh. And I thought, all right, I'm going to fix this up. I'm going to make it an arch box. And then I'll put that under the table and I'll take the Bonobo home. Because, you know, I, I bought it to be able to do quite a heavy video load. So it's still, even though it was a couple of years ago, it still make a pretty good, like, uh, just dedicated GNOME workstation. And I would just have that hooked up to the Dell monitor and the other mirrored port going out to the uh, HDMI capture. But, you know, it needs some work. It needs, like, some data has to be backed up off of it. And it needs fans replaced. And uh, it, it, it just has, like, stuff that has to be done to it. And it, it just, I'm not getting to that. So I realized, well, you know, this Bonobo here, this, this freaking Bonobo's got HDMI out, DisplayPort out, and a built-in screen. I've always wondered, as long as I've owned the Bonobo, would the Bonobo be down for a three-way monitor hookup? I've never, I've, you know, I've always been like a little afraid, I've been a little cautious about it. I didn't want to approach Chris. the Bonobo and be like, hey, Bonobos, I got this idea. And then the Bonobo be like, shh, are you, are you serious? When my HDMI port is full, that DisplayPort is off, buddy. That is off limits. But it turns out... It actually works great. I plugged in both the display port and the HDMI port. They're filled up now. And the internal screen's also on. And it works magically. I mean, it, it really works well. The, uh, the, the downside, though, and I'm running the latest NVIDIA driver here, but from time to time, you know, about seven, eight days in, the driver just starts crapping itself. I don't know what exactly is going on because usually it seems to happen right after I get done playing a full screen video. And then like the X then the X session drops, GNOME restarts, well the X session comes back, GNOME restarts fairly gracefully. Everything actually kind of resumes, you know? All my apps are still running. It's it's not like a full jump out. It's more like something just changes and I go back to the default X layout. I no longer am a three, in a three-way. I'm now back to one monitor and then two remote displays. Well, that immediately breaks capture. And the thing is, if I'm playing a full-screen video, there's like a 98.9% chance that I'm actually in the middle of a show because that's why I'm playing the video. So then that means my whole session takes a crap in the middle of a show, and, I, and I, the only way to fix it is if I get up and walk away from the microphone and I walk around the table... And I go over to the Bonobo, and I go there, and I bring up the NVIDIA control panel on the Bonobo's display, and I mirror everything again, and then I walk back. So it's been a bit of a bumpy ride because of that. So the touchscreen, on its own, has been pretty solid. The unexpected consequence, though, of forcing my, my video card into a three-way has been 
not-so-stable drivers that seem to impact me about seven or eight days, just about the time you forget the problem even exists and think it's maybe not going to happen again. Boom! It gets you right in the middle of, oh, I don't know, unfilter. And then Rikai has to fix it in editing. That happened. Have you um, considered using a different desktop environment? No. <laughs>